Hello, my name is Wendy Myers. Welcome to the Myers Detox Podcast, where we explore all topics related to heavy metal detoxification, detox protocols and supplements, and many, many health issues from which so many are suffering. Today, we talk about Lyme disease and the many therapies that can be used to recover from it. And a lot of things you may not be aware of that you'll find really, really interesting. And if you've been suffering from a chronic health condition and doctors can't find a diagnosis, or you've just been, you know, going through that medical revolving door, going to doctor to doctor to figure out what's wrong with you, you may want to look at Lyme and doing Lyme testing to find out if that is a potential underlying cause. It can you know, cause a lot of different symptoms that are similar to other health issues. And so do Lyme testing to find out if that may be an issue for you. Today, Jackie Shea joined us on the show to talk about all the different therapies that she tried to recover from Lyme and why she's a Lyme coach today, helping others to recover from this totally debilitating illness that can manifest for many, many people. We talk about the emotional trauma role in recovering from Lyme and how that can throw a wrench in things. We talk about hypogamma globulinemia and how a test for this immune system deficiency uh, can be done and how it can prevent Lyme recovery. We also talk about the three key things that Jackie believes are required to recover from Lyme and where to get support to address Lyme. You know, it takes a village. It's helpful to hear other people's stories and what they're doing and try it for yourself. Many of you listening to this podcast are concerned about heavy metal toxicity and your potential levels of them and how they're affecting your health. And for good reason, there's heavy metals in aluminum cans that many are drinking from, in chickens, in eggs, in rice, in the air that we breathe, in the food that we eat, even if you're eating a perfectly organic diet. Metals are everywhere. So it's prudent to test for heavy metals and find out what metals that you have so that you can take the next steps to detox them. So I created this heavy metals quiz when you get the results immediately after taking it to determine your relative exposure of heavy metals and then where to start, where do you begin? And so I have a video series that's absolutely free that tells you those next steps to begin your detox journey and what you should do and what you should avoid. So take the quiz at heavymetalsquiz.com and you'll get your results immediately. Our guest today, Jackie Shea, was diagnosed with Lyme disease in 2013, and the experience was so emotionally and physically intense that her healing journey required her to face pre-Lyme issues that included severe childhood trauma and an undiagnosed immune system disorder. In 2016, she was successfully found Lyme-free and the experience inspired her to transition from a career as a professional actress to become a professional health, life, and business coach, a blogger, and the podcast host of the Healing Out Loud podcast. You can learn more about Jackie and work with her to recover from Lyme at JackieShea.com. Jackie, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Wendy. It's really an honor to be here. So in your practice, you're very, very focused on Lyme disease and you dealt with it yourself. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your story? 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lyme disease, I grew up on the Northeast. So for me in the Northeast, so Lyme disease for me was, you know, something we checked for ticks anytime we were in Connecticut and I knew you got it from ticks and I knew that it was bad enough that we checked for it, uh, diligently, but I didn't know much more about it. And I got bit by a tick three days uh, before my 26th birthday in Los Angeles on a photo shoot in Franklin Canyon. And I was rolling around in these piles of leaves, you know, with, with a dress on. And I was thinking when I left the woods that day, I thought to myself, I should check for ticks. Like if there was ever a day to check for ticks, this is the day. <laughs> Immediately followed by there are no ticks in Southern California because that was what I was told. I was told that it was a Northeast thing, not even a Northeast thing. I was really told it was a Connecticut based disease. Like that's, that was the only place it really existed. Lyme disease is in all 50 States, including Hawaii, something I had no idea. So I just, I didn't check for ticks. Uh, I didn't even shower that night. I was like, you know, did my thing. And 10 days later I started getting rashes. And there's a rash that comes with uh, Lyme disease that very few people get. It's something like uh, something like 30% of people end up getting the rash. So the bullseye rash? The bullseye rash, yes. It's called something that I can't pronounce, um, EM, the EM rash. Mm-hmm. And, and I was so lucky, but it was a little atypical. So I didn't think of Lyme disease right away. I thought of all sorts of things. I thought of psoriasis. I thought of, um, uh, but other bug bites, poison ivy, poison oak, you know, I just was, I was racking my brain and the rashes kept spreading and spreading and spreading. And, and one of the centers cleared and two weeks later with these very persistent rashes and fatigue and headaches, I finally decided to see um, an urgent care doctor in, in, in Los Angeles. And I just, again, got so lucky that I landed with a person who happened to say, who happened to believe in Lyme disease and happened to say, have you been in the woods lately? And I was like, oh, you know, it's such a funny thing. Yeah, I had this experience. And he was like, I think you have Lyme disease. He did the test for me. Testing for Lyme is famously unreliable. So the test actually came back negative, but I knew from the moment he said it, that that was what it was. And I was excited because I thought, oh, I just take some antibiotics and then it goes away. Like that's Lyme. You just take a bunch of antibiotics and then it, it just disappears like antibiotics do. They do their magic. That's it. And I got very, very sick and I did antibiotics for about 10 months never getting better, only getting sicker. I did like five different antibiotics at a time. I was doing intramuscular antibiotics. Um, when finally I was so depleted, you know, I ended up like in a wheelchair for any extended, uh, any wa- extensive walking, which was like more than a block. I was 93 pounds. I was not able to hold my own head up. I was losing my hair. I was having muscle twitching in a very bad fibromyalgia pain from my head to my feet. I was not sleeping ever, ever sleeping. I had anxiety and depression. It was really extreme. And finally I decided to take healing into my own hands and go totally holistic. And it took me another two years from that moment to get well. But I did. I, I got well and I cured it and using a spiritual, mental, emotional and physical um, outlook. 
Yeah, I mean, you got lucky in the first, you know, medical doctor that you went to gave you a hint that maybe you have Lyme and did testing, but some people go a decade, 20 years even, going to doctor to doctor with no mention of the potential for Lyme disease or Lyme-like infections. Yep, it's it's horrifying. And and I got really lucky too that I happened to know somebody who had Lyme. So I asked her right away and she said, if the test comes back negative, it's not a real negative. So I think a lot of people are actually getting tested for Lyme disease. This is what I see in my practice all the time. Like people come to me and they have all these symptoms and they're like, they tested Lyme. It it came back negative. And those are unreliable tests. The only way to get a, a reliable test is to go through a lab called Igenics. And they test more strands and they have more reliable testing. But even so, even if those come back negative, Lyme literate doctors will do a clinical diagnosis. So I think, you know, a lot of people in my position would have been like, oh, it's not Lyme disease. The test came back negative. But because I had this friend who was like, you need to see a Lyme literate doctor immediately. And I did. Yeah. And Lyme is rampant. I mean, there are, you know, so many people that are getting diagnosed with this. There are Lyme co-infections like Bartonella and other infections that can be similar to Lyme or coexist with Lyme that really compromise people's immune system and their health and can take a long, long time to get a diagnosis of this. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's a really good point. So, you know, obviously when Lyme came, when it was discovered in Lyme, Connecticut, they didn't have the full picture, which we still don't today, but even then there wasn't the picture of co-infections, right? What you're talking about, Bartonella, Babesia, Mycoplasma, Rexetia, Ehrlichia, all of these co-infections that come with Lyme that very frequently make it so that you can't heal the Lyme because there are these other infections going off that you're not even addressing um, and your immune system is down, so it's not able to properly fight the Lyme. So... So when that was discovered, I think it was discovered in like 1990, the mid 1990s, the Babesia and Bartonella co-infections. When those were discovered, it made treating Lyme become more plausible, like actually curing Lyme, because now we're finding, discovering these underlying issues. And then that kind of snowballed into all of these areas, right? which heavy metal toxicity is one of them, mold toxicity, immune disorders, autoimmune situations. Um, What else? Uh, um, I'm trying to think about, oh, detox pathways, right? Like methylation issues being a problem, biofilm, right? And then discovering that Lyme disease actually takes three different forms in your body. So it's a shapeshifter. So it hides from all these different treatments you do and it creates a biofilm around itself. So it just becomes this very difficult to treat illness. And if you're not clear on all of the issues going on at once, like for me, I did have a co-infection called Bartonella. You're just never going to get the treatment that you need. So it took a long time. It's still, I mean, we're still discovering a lot, but at least now we know that Lyme is a multi-systemic, like we, we find other, we know that there's something underlying. And so is Lyme curable? You say that you you cured your Lyme. Um, I've heard some people where they're only able to get it like under remission, where they strengthen their immune system and then it keeps Lyme under lock and key so they're not symptomatic. What Can you clarify that? 
Yeah, I think Lyme is totally curable because I've seen people be cured because I, I, it doesn't show up in my blood work, but also because it's a bug, it's a bacteria. Like to me, I'm kind of like, why wouldn't that be curable? It's a bacteria. Bacteria dies. You kill it. <laughs> you know, so this idea that that Lyme is always going to be in your body and you can only ever be in remission. I don't buy into it because I've seen it not be true. And because I don't see how one can say that about any kind of bacteria. Yeah. And I've heard that, you know, for some people it gets advanced enough. So it goes undetected, untreated, and then it can become like this brain form of Lyme where you have these spirochetes that are really, really difficult to address maybe like perhaps that's at that stage it can becomes you know very very challenging i think that you're absolutely right wendy thank you for bringing that up it's always challenging to fight lyme always unless you're one of those lucky people who takes 30 days of antibiotics and never hears from it again um but when it breaks the blood brain barrier and it's been in your body for a long enough time that it went undetected it does become there's this writer, Amy B. Sharer, that I've interviewed on my podcast a couple of times, and she says treating Lyme is like climbing Mount Everest, except you're wearing flip-flops and your flip-flops are broken. <laughs> and so as somebody who treated Lyme, like it's so accurate because it's like a game of whack-a-mole. You're like, okay, so I treated the biofilm. Now I'm killing the Lyme. Now I have heavy metals. Now I have this, like, it's just like... You're just constantly dealing with the neurological issues, but then you're not addressing your gut. Like it's just, it's so insane. And so, yes, you're absolutely right. Late stage Lyme becomes very difficult to treat, um, but it's treatable. And I think that in those cases, also, I also really want to be clear that I do not think that just everyone should be able to cure Lyme. You know, like some people will not be able to. And it, it's of no, it's of no, they're not at fault. They're not to blame that, that they're not able to cure Lyme or even put it in remission. Some people do suffer for the rest of their lives. Like, and that's not, um, because they didn't work hard enough. I think I just, I want to be really clear about that. Yeah, I mean, I can see where some people, if it gets so advanced and they have other health conditions and they genetically, their detox pathways are stuffed up and they have a hard time getting rid of metals and they just have all these confounding factors, it can make it really, really challenging if not impossible for some people. So how did you treat Lyme? How did you uh, address it and conquer it and, and get rid of it? Yeah, it's a good question. So I did the, you know, the other thing with healing Lyme is that anyone who has healed or is doing better will not know the definitive answer to that question because most of us have done so many things to try to heal that it's like, who knows? Like I threw a bunch of shit at the wall. Sorry. Can we, <laughs> and like something stuck. Right. So I, what I did was I did the antibiotics and who's to say if they, did something or didn't, I got sicker, I felt sicker, but who's to say, like, maybe they did a lot of killing that needed to happen. Um, after that, I did many, many things from, I went to Indonesia and I did two months of intensive ozone therapy, 
and vitamin C drips and glutathione drips. I went to Florida to a peptide doctor and did a year of peptides. I um, did two different herbal protocols. I did acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine, uh, herbal herbal um, Chinese medicine. I did bioenergetic intolerance elimination. I did changed my diet completely. I detoxed. I got my amalgam fillings out, right? Like I did all of those, all of those things. And I took really good care of the spiritual side of things. So I worked on my trauma. I worked on self-love, self-compassion, self-worth. I did meditation. I did um, therapy. I was in therapy twice a week that I really, really needed that. Um, yeah, those are the things that I did. Oh, and I did IVIG which is the most important aspect of really what happened for me. Once we found my immune disorder called common variable immune deficiency, which we'll probably get to, but once we found my immune disorder and were able to treat that, I was able to really get fully well. Yeah. And that's really interesting. You say that because if you have an infection or other, any other infection or an infection like Lyme, if you have a compromised immune system, you're going to be more susceptible to not getting that under control or the immune system not doing its job of killing that infection. So can you tell me about that condition and why it might be important for other people suffering from Lyme to be aware of that? Yes, yes, and, and you're absolutely right. And, and the way we generally test the immune system currently, most doctors will test white blood cells, um, natural killer cells, T cells, lymphocytes, right? That's kind of used as the barometer of how well your immune system is working. And it's actually, they're missing the whole second half of the immune system, which are called your immunoglobulins. Most of your listeners will likely have never had their immunoglobulins tested. I happened to see a doctor who tested my immunoglobulin panel and it came back just totally depleted. And I was likely, so it's called common variable immune deficiency or hypogammaglobulinemia. I'm glad you pronounce that and not me. <laughs> <laughs> it's not anemia. It has nothing to do with iron deficiency. It is just it, anemia. Anemia means like um, blood. Right. So it's it's the immune it's the immune system in your blood that that it's referencing. So once I discovered that, what I basically discovered is that my immune system had very few soldiers to fight this thing. And it made sense finally that even though I had caught it so early and was on antibiotics within at like a month, a month after my bite, I had taken and I had gotten on my first antibiotic that's really close like that. A lot of people that have that kind of luck heal quickly. Um, and I didn't. So it made so much sense finally that my immune system was just never up to speed to do that kind of fight because fighting Lyme is a big fight. And, and I had been taking antibiotics my whole life. So the other thing I came to realize is that Common variable immune deficiency is it's very likely uh, congenital. So you get your immunoglobulins in fetus, uh, in utero from your mother. My mother has all sorts of health issues too. 
And so I was raised, I was sick. Like if any of your listeners have been sick all their life, they've had pneumonia, they've had chest infections, sinus infections, like they're the person that's like, I'm just the one that's prone to get whatever's going around. That was me. I had cold sores. I had gotten cold sores all my life with no, like from the time I was a baby, that's another sign that you have a weak immune system. So really, I should have been tested much sooner. I was in the hospital randomly when I was uh, 18 for no, like, never discovered why I got so sick in the first place, you know, things like things like that. So but nobody ever tested my immunoglobulin level. So if you're low, like I was, there's a therapy you can do called IVIG, which is IV immunoglobulin. And it essentially is plasma from other people's healthy immune systems that will come in and give you the immune system you need to fight. You do need to get infusions frequently. It doesn't rebuild on its own after that. But once I was able to fight the infection, once I got that IVIG underway, I turned a corner fast, really fast. That's amazing. So you have to do that on an ongoing basis or do you just do it as needed if you have an infection? No, it's ongoing. It's monthly. So for me, I actually still get a monthly infusion um, of 30 grams for like four hours. Yeah. And so where would you go to get something like that to get that kind of treatment? That's a great question. So the people who will test and the people who will administer, prescribe and administer it are hematologists, immunologists, neurologists, and sometimes a rheumatologist. But nobody else will do that for you. The, the, the place you're going to be most likely to have no fight against the testing is going to be with an immunologist or a functional medicine doctor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so some, uh, some doctors may resist testing you for that if you ask for it, if you ask for to test that aspect of your immune system. Many, yeah. many doctors. Yeah, I'm sure insurance is not dying to pay for that. <laughs> So the treatment is like one of the most expensive things on the market. It's like $500,000 a year. Oh, wow. And, and insurance covers it if you need it. Yes. Right. But, but yes, it is an insanely expensive treatment. Yeah. They're probably not encouraging or rewarding doctors for doing that testing. <laughs> no. So, so somebody you're paying out of pocket for should do it for you. Yeah. So make sure you have health insurance before <laughs> you do the test just to make yeah. sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. So tell us about the peptide treatment that you did. Um, I know peptides are great for helping to overcome food sensitivities, overcome other different types of immune system malfunctioning. Uh, how did that play into your treatment protocol? Yeah, you know, it's getting really big now. The reason I did peptides and, and a suggestion I give to everybody is go find the people who got well, ask them what they did and do what they did and find what works for you in what they did and stick to it and what doesn't and get rid of it, right? Like that's kind of because Lyme is so under-researched and there aren't that many great doctors, that's what I tell everyone to do. Um, so I found somebody who got well and one of the things she highly suggested was uh, this peptide treatment uh, with this doctor in Florida. So I did it um, and I, I can't honestly say I was so sick at the time and I saw an immediate turnaround 
immediate. Like that day, the day I got my first shot was the first day I sat up in a restaurant in like nine months. It was a miracle. I was like walking around. I felt like myself. I felt like a, uh, an alive member of society. So it was amazing. But after that initial excitement for, from my body, it, it didn't, I didn't have the same results and that, that depleted and went away. So I honestly, they're using peptides a lot now, like at whole Torf. I don't know if you know whole Torf and, um, in, uh, in, in Southern California, and they're doing a lot of peptide treatment with all Lyme patients. And there's a lot of studies on how peptides help the amino acids, but I can't honestly say from my experience that it, it's not the number one thing I recommend. Yeah. I mean, it's for some people, it may be that thing that works for them. Different yeah. people respond to different things. And so what about childhood trauma? Uh, what role did that play in your illness? Cause that, you know, when I'm working with people, you know, looking at trauma and addressing that underlying emotional stressor, that, that drain that that stressor becomes on the person, on their energy, on their immune system, uh, a lot of people really aren't aware of that when they're looking for these physical solutions to their physical health issues. Uh, they're not uh, accounting for um, abuse or, uh, or emotional issues that can be that roadblock to them getting better. And these things aren't addressed at a conventional or even most functional medical doctor. So what role did that play in your illness? Oh man, huge, huge. And I'm with, like, I didn't know, I didn't know that the trauma, that that kind of childhood trauma could affect my body that way. But now it's so interesting. Like when I go into a state of fight or flight, right? If I'm in a state of trauma, I think about how my body is like losing its mind. Like I think about the amount of stress hormones that are just flooding my system. And I'm like, my entire childhood was that. I mean, I lived with that level of stress from day one until I was about 17. And I just, yeah, like anyone out there listening who's ever been very afraid, you know, you can feel the amount of, of stuff, sur hormones surging through your body. Imagine a child experiencing that frequently or infrequently, but like that, the level of stress hormones just flooding your body will completely throw off your adrenal glands, right? Like your thyroid, you can end up in adrenal fatigue really easily. Um, so for me, I started looking into the ACEs study, the adverse childhood, the adverse childhood experiences study. So there's been research around this and the, the research shows very clearly that children with adverse experiences, um, are way more likely to be physically ill as adults. There's some, there's something like, um, they had created a quiz aces is where it is. So it's a quiz to see how much childhood trauma you endured. And if your score is something like above a seven on a scale of one to 10, you're like 70% more likely to have heart disease. I mean, it's profound, the things that they discovered. So I would say that going to trauma therapy, I personally do somatic trauma therapy. 
Um, but I also did EMDR when I was ill and I did it on my own. Like I didn't have money when I was sick. So I was doing a lot of things on my own. I was also, you know, really letting myself grieve. I did a lot of inner child work. I did a lot of reparenting myself, which was a win. That was like one of the best things I did. Just is that like so John Bradshaw? I don't know about it. Yeah, I think he, he talked about it in some books. <laughs> but what is the MDMR? I mean, I've heard that that's uh, the EMDR. Heard that it's uh, very, very effective. Yeah, it's um, eye movement, eye movement, rapid eye movement desensitization. I might be, I might be off on one of those words, but yeah. So it's it, it like rewires your brain by by noise and and sound and moving your brain left to right, left to right, left to right. Um, I did it. Frequently, like I learned how to essentially like use noise. And then I had an app for it called anxiety release with EMDR. And I did it probably every day for a while because I was in such a state of shock. And it really calms the central nervous system down, which is what you're trying to do, right? You're trying to just calm the central nervous system down to get out of the sympathetic nervous system and move toward the parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah, and that's so, so key. And that's something that when I'm working with a client, no matter what their health issue is, trying to get them out of sympathetic mode, fight or flight, stress, and into parasympathetic mode so they can rest, relax, digest, and detox. And that's really, really key because if they're stuck in this sympathetic mode and they're releasing all these stress hormones, even if they don't feel stressed, they can be under a lot of different stressors that throws a wrench into their healing and their progress and their ability to detox. So, so important for no matter what illness you have to get into that, that you know, reducing stress. Yeah. Wendy, do you see that a lot with, with people that childhood trauma will actually, or, or stress in general, will actually block detox pathways? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you have to, uh, just like, any kind of healing you do, you know, you, you need energy to detox. And if you're expending energy reacting your body, attempting to adapt to stressors, then you're going to have a reduced ability or capacity to detox, not a total inability, but the, you know, we detox when we're in parasympathetic mode, when we're in like a more relaxed mode, that's the ideal state. Um, so it's just ideal to try to get people into that mode and minerals help with that and releasing emotional trauma. And I use bioenergetics to help people release that trauma in a simple way without too much work, which people like, and that helps to reduce stress. Right, right, right. I hadn't considered that very simple fact that I, that I think I know in my body, but just hadn't considered intellectually that of course we detox when we're in a more parasympathetic or, or, or neutral state. Yeah. Yeah. And when people are, you know, they have childhood trauma, you know, they are just generally going to be more stressed, um, whether they're aware of it, they may think, Oh, that's in the past or, Oh, I had 10 years of therapy or, but they can unconsciously still be kind of having this, this energetic tape loop that's draining their energy. Yeah. And that's a really good point too. And I was that person. I had been in therapy. I had dealt with stuff for, since I was 18. I mean, I cleaned up my life at 18 years old and I, you know, 
attended Al-Anon and I was in therapy. I was in intensive therapy. I had gotten a lot of help. I had clawed my way into my life. And I was like, sure that I was free of so much. And then I got sick and, um, it was like a deeper cut. Like I just, I more, more that needed to be healed came up. Yeah. Yeah. I had the same experience too. I had 10 years of therapy and just was just trying to improve myself and just do use every tool possible, try to work through my stuff and improve myself. But there's, I think there's some element of stuff that we're not conscious of that, that needs to be addressed. I use bioenergetics for that. I think it's really helpful to identify stressors and release them simply. And, um, but yeah, there's lots of different ways to go about that. So let's talk about, you know, the, the three key things that you believe are needed to cure Lyme. Mm-hmm. Okay. I believe that you need fierce self-advocacy because with Lyme disease, doctors are not going to believe you. You're going to come face to face with many people that do not believe you, that do not trust your experience, that do not want to give you the blood tests you know you need or any test, the stool test, the urine test, the you know heavy metal test, all of that. You also need to be a self uh, a fierce self advocate around finances because a lot of people are not able to work and do not have families supporting them. So fundraisers, disability grants, all of that, fierce self advocacy, asking for what you need and going out there and getting it, no matter how many people close the door in your face. Ask and thou shalt receive. You have yeah. to. You have to ask. <laughs> yes, and if, you, if people say no many times, keep asking. Just keep asking. Um, radical self-care is the second thing I believe you need. And that is way beyond, you know, drink enough water and eat three healthy meals and exercise. It is saying no when you're terrified that you're going to disappoint people. It is disappointing people. <laughs> it is um, taking care of yourself like you are a child and like you are reparenting yourself right? Radical, radical self-care, listening to your authentic self. There's another woman who healed Lyme that talks about how the way she healed herself after all the physical things she did was finally giving her authentic voice, the center stage and stopping to like repress, to please other people, to manipulate situations so that she knows she's liked. Radical self-care sometimes means leaving a toxic relationship you've been in for a really long time, whether it's romance or friendship or a family member. Radical self-care sometimes means blocking a family member. I mean, it's way beyond the things we think of. And these are all drains. These are all things that drain you that you can't afford. Absolutely. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So something I tell people a lot is know what depletes you and know what gives you energy and arrange your life accordingly. And it's interesting that it takes getting sick to do that. It did for me. But it was like, once I was sick, I was able to go, I'm not going to do anything that depletes me. And if I engage with something that depletes me, I'm going to bookend it with, um, with things that lift me up. So doctors, going to a doctor would drain me. So right after the doctor, I would have a list of things that I would do, like I would take photos that would lift me up or I would get a green juice or make a green juice that like I had my list. Um, and the third thing I believe you need is what I call hopeful connection through shared experience, which is essentially community, but 
community people that really understand have been there, have been through illness and come out the other side or not. They don't have to have come out the other side, but people that have been there, experienced it, felt it and can empathize and help you like and, and lead you down a new path. I believe that those are the three key things that you need. Fantastic. Yeah, that's such a that's such a good list. I've really enjoyed this podcast a lot. (laughs) Because I think that a lot of things that you're seeing are also applicable to other illnesses to other health conditions, uh, that uh, people really need to reevaluate their life and their relationships and, and their finances. And it can be really challenging. But these types of challenges can be like where you're almost re rebirthing yourself reinventing yourself like me my health issues turned into myersdetox.com and like my my pursuit to try to heal myself turned into this amazing uh platform to help other people so like amazing things can come out of this even if you're listening to this and you're very very sick or you're you have chronic fatigue or you're bedridden or can't work people do and can climb out of that and come out the other side Yeah. And you really have Wendy. Like, I I just want you to know that I actually heard you on a podcast when I was still struggling with, um, wellness mama and, um, and I love the podcast and it, it was so helpful for me and I learned so much from it. And so, yeah, you really, you are helping so many people. And I think what, what, a what a gift. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. Thank you. Yeah. Just, yeah, it's nice when you get on these large platforms like wellness mama has and, you know, you get out, you reach a lot of people you might not otherwise reach with, with your message, you know? And so uh, I think it's also with Lyme, it's really important to detox heavy metals. We didn't talk about that, but you know, our medical director of our program feels like you, you, you have to detox heavy metals to address Lyme because metals impact immune system functioning uh, in a lot of different ways. They affect your natural killer cells and your microphages and your neutrophils and in different ways, different metals like arsenic, lead, cadmium, and mercury impact your immune system. So it can be really important to detox uh, to add that into your protocol so that your immune system can be online to address and get Lyme under control. Yeah, and if you're taking a lot of supplements to build your immune system, which a lot of people with Lyme are, but you're not detoxing the things that are keeping your immune system down, you're only going to move an inch. You know, you can't, you can't move that far if, if, if the heavy metals are interfering in all of these ways and don't heavy met. I mean, what I understand of heavy metals too, is that they also create biofilm, which does surround Lyme. And so you have to be getting rid of them and, and any, any good Lyme literate, MD these days will agree. We'll be trying to detox you from heavy metals. Yeah, see, yeah, yeah, very, very important component just for anything. For you know, metals are throwing a wrench in your body's recovery, metabolism, energy, every body system. So they, they need to be addressed just generally, generally to be healthy. Um, so so tell us t- about today, like how you engage in self care, and and how you know that can help other people. Some days I'm good at it. And some days I push myself is the truth. I'm very um, busy. I have a very full practice. And um, 
and it's very lucky, you know, but the level of self-care that I often talk about is it's almost, it's a full-time job, right? So the way I really take care of myself today within a, a, a packed schedule and sometimes stressful is, um, I drink enough water every day. I make sure to add lemon and salt to my water a lot of the time, which is one of your big tips. I, um, make sure to eat on an anti-inflammatory diet, which really works for me very well. I bring my supplements with me wherever I go. I find uh, time for creativity uh, multiple times a month. So some of the things that I need, like self-care for everyone is different. Some of the things I need for self-care every week are I need to dance. I need to do yoga. Those things really put me in my body and in my yin and my femininity. And those are things that I need to feel grounded. I sleep, I read, I journal, I meditate, but not perfectly. You know, sometimes I meditate five minutes a day. Sometimes I don't meditate at all. Um, I'm very connected to the universe. I do a lot of prayer. I see my community. I see friends that lift me up and enhance my energy. I'm in a long-term relationship and I make sure I have time to spend with him present. I put my phone down. I put my phone in airplane mode as much as I can, which is really beneficial. I listen to podcasts actually that lift me up. I make sure to get under the sunshine, but you know, it's like some days I do all of the things and some days the best thing I can do is just make sure I drink enough water and eat and sleep. <laughs> yeah, um, one of my big hobbies is sleeping. Yeah. That's one of my favorite hobbies. <laughs> I'm sure you're right. it's like, you know, when you're when your life is very full and it's a, such a blessing, it's more challenging to find the nuanced ways to self-care, you know, or like those those kind of perfect ideals of um of self-care. Yeah, I mean sleeping is almost like a luxury. You know, you, you really, really have to be disciplined, make time for it. You have to have time for it, which can be challenging for women that work and have a few children and have a relationship and have, a, you know, all this stuff going on. Then sometime for themselves, you know, sleep can be a real luxury and you really yeah. have to take, uh, be really mindful of, of fitting that in. Yeah. I will say that every week I look at my schedule on Sundays. I'll look at my schedule for the week ahead and I go through with a highlighter um, and I, I highlight different activities with different colors. This is very like, as I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, oh God, it's so type A. But I, but I highlight my self-care with pink so that I can see on the schedule like where my self-care is. And if there's not enough of it, I add things in or I cancel things. But I try to have, you know, at least four things a week that are there strictly to fill me up, if not five things a week, you know, and that can range anywhere from yoga to rock climbing to um, therapy or coaching or um, a date with my man. Like it, it, it ranges, but but I really, I'm conscious of it each week. I'll say that. I think that is really important to get it in the schedule because if it's in the schedule, more likely to get done. Like for instance, I, I like to go on an app class pass and schedule Pilates. And if I don't do it, I'm like, oh, I'll just schedule it last minute. 
usually doesn't happen, but if I go on Sunday and schedule Monday, Wednesday, Friday, magically it happens. <laughs> so I, it's like you have to, if it's in the schedule, it gets done. So I think it's really smart to schedule in that, that self-care also for us calendar junkies. <laughs> <laughs> I love my calendar. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so so tell everyone where they can uh, find your work, work with you to address their Lyme. Yeah, so something really exciting is happening right now. Um, I actually have my, a group, a health group coming up uh, starting in September for three months um, for four to six people, and it's going to be a blast. So if that sounds at all interesting to you, you can find me at JackieShea.com. Uh, also, I have a podcast called Healing Out Loud with Jackie Shea, um, and I'm on Instagram, and all of those places are good places to find me, write to me, um, ask any questions, and come on over and have a conversation. And so is this group, is this for people that want like group coaching to address their Lyme or is it for other types of things? Oh, yes. It's a coaching group. So it's a health coaching group and um, we will be uh, we will be exploring the three main topics that I just talked about with you. Self-advocacy, radical self-care and community and really diving into creativity and all of the ways that we can support ourselves and our bodies really from home without, without, uh, relying completely on doctors. Yes. Yes. I know you do. You have to be your own self advocate because even if you're going to doctors and practitioners, there's only so much time they can spend with you and that other, you know, thousand of hours in that week or month, you have to, you're on your own and yeah. you're having to take care of yourself and so you, you really have to be your your own best advocate because no one else can do that work for you. And certainly your doctor does not have time uh, yeah. to really give you a ton of advice or definitely nothing that's alternative. So you, you've got to find this stuff out for yourself. Yeah, that's right. And, and having a tribe to walk with you is uh, just such a blessing. <laughs> having a tribe to walk with you. So... Come on, come find your tribe. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jackie, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. And everyone, thanks so much for joining me on the Myers Detox podcast, where every week we explore topics related to heavy metal toxicity and alternative health issues and detox protocols and supplements and pretty much anything related to detox. So thanks for tuning in every week. I really appreciate you listening every week and giving me the opportunity to help you.